This is Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Wyman and Bob Stelton. Welcome, everybody. It's Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710 and seattlesports.com. I hope everybody's having a great day out there. If you're watching on the stream, you'll notice Dave Wyman looks a lot smaller than he normally does. A lot leaner. Uh, he's out today. Apparently, the Super Bowl hangover was on delay, so it hit him today. And we've got our very own Shannon Dreyer in studio with us. Hi, Shannon. Hi. How are you? Well, I avoided the Super Bowl hangover, so that's a good thing. You, you did. <laughs> I don't know if he's got a hangover. I have no idea what's wrong with him. But he's he's under the weather today. So Dave is out. Shannon is in for the first couple of hours. And then uh, Lefko will sit in and uh, yap incessantly and, and get everybody fired up is about Lefko football. a yapper? He's a yapper. Okay. He likes to talk. He's built for this business. He's got words. He's got I many. certainly can't write, as we've established. Huh? My handwriting. Oh, your handwriting. Yeah, yeah. I, I have no handwriting. He's got whatsoever. the worst handwriting so I've ever seen. Talk. I would say I could probably give him a run for his money, I but maybe know. not. Well, he's he's written me handwritten notes, like if we're taping a, a, a guest or something and he needs me to see something, he'll write it down. And I'm usually sitting there going, I, I'm not quite certain what this says. I don't know exactly when, and then we'll turn the mics off. What does this say? <laughs> Actually, that'd be a fun segment one day. <laughs> what? I write, you decipher. Or you decipher yeah. People try to figure out what, <laughs> figure it, out is. what it is Lefko wrote. So Lefko will uh, step in at 4 o'clock. We got uh, Mark Schlereth joining us today at 3 o'clock, El Hombre at 5. So plenty to discuss. And it's a perfect time for you to be here, Shannon, because uh, baseball season is just right there. Pitchers and catchers report tomorrow for the Mariners, although – I think some are already there. I saw a tweet from uh, Taylor Saucedo said, man, it's great to be back with the guys. And he's excited. You're going to be there, what, next week? Saturday. Um, so I'll be at the camp on Sunday. Monday's a holiday. But we'll have stuff on the website on Monday and then full go on Tuesday. Well, what, what's your uh, what's your overall level of optimism about this team? I know we, we've talked a lot about the pieces they've added, what they could have done, should have done, did do, didn't do, all of that. But as we sit now with what feels like pretty much a finalized roster, we'll see if they add to the bullpen or anything uh, more between now and, and opening day. Do you feel like this is a better team than last year's version? I do. I think it took a long time to get there. And I'm not, you know, ignoring the elephant in the room that's really not an elephant anymore. It kind of is the room. They, they're in an odd situation where they were not able to spend what everybody expected that they would. And that really changed things drastically for them. And it was very jarring to see Jerry DePoto have to, you know, subtract before he could add. And I cannot imagine how scary a thing that is because your opponents and the people that you're trying to do deals with know the position that you're in. But... Uh, lo and behold, I think he has put together a a roster that gives them more flexibility than they had as far as if Scott wants options and what he can do with left and right. I think he's got a lineup that is going to have a better ability to put the ball in play, and when you put the ball in play, you give yourself more of a chance than when you're swinging and missing three times a game. Uh, I like that. I'd kind of gotten to the end of my rope with that and decided I couldn't watch that anymore. I don't care what the rationale was behind it. So You I, don't I, have a choice. You have to watch. I know. I can't yeah. leave. You can leave. <laughs> I can't leave. Sometimes it gets hard. Um, and I also think that they did really – I think they did. A, they kind of um, came to terms with some things that weren't working for them. And this is separate from not having the resources available. I think they had to determine where they were and what they were if they wanted to take that next step. And we shouldn't forget they you know, just came up short in the numbers last year. But 
just getting one win better is not going to guarantee you anything. And I think that Jerry Depoto and Justin Hollander were able to pull off some moves that uh, made them functional plus while keeping the pitching together, which was a huge win, Mm -hmm. while keeping most of your prospects together, which was a huge win. And I do. You asked if I think they are better. I think they are better than the team that finished on the field last year. And I don't think you need to look any further than the bench. When you look at what the bench was coming out of August before they added the additional player, and you take a look at what they have right now, which is basically Dylan Moore is your 26th man right now, which, you know, you don't have players up from AAA on your bench right now. You don't have players up from AAA. We're assuming Haggerty is in AAA. Uh, there's not room right now. Yeah. I would imagine if anybody gets hurt during spring training, he's the first one that is up. But, yeah, you have bumped uh, somebody who's very useful to your roster, if things were to start today, to AAA, mm-hmm. which kind of shows you the depth that they have, that they didn't have at the end of last year. That includes a DH, a permanent DH, as long as he can stay healthy. And, of course, that's going to be the qualifier on everything this year. So I I do, I do. When um, you sit down, you put the lineup together, it looks very different than it did a year ago. It looks a lot different than it did in November when you were looking at the moves that have been made in December. And uh, the Polanco piece, I think, just kind of really solidified things. It's amazing how how impactful that move seemed to be with a a – I don't know what the word is. I don't want to say impatient because that that implies that they they don't have a reason to be impatient. This fan base absolutely has every reason to be impatient. But skeptical, I guess, cynical, that that move seemed to sway a lot of people. Just in just I'm judging by text and social media. I know it's not everybody. Uh but just in the way that it was just every joke was 54% this, 54% that, typical Mariners, blah blah blah. That move surprisingly seem to sway a lot of that. Not all of it. There's still people out there going, whatever. Uh, but I, I, I was a little surprised. I love the move. I love the Polanco mm-hmm. edition. And I love I love bringing Mitch Hanniger back because I love Mitch Hanniger. <laughs> but I, I also know who he is. I also know As who he's they. been. Yeah. So th- this lineup, I agree. I think it's it's a longer lineup. It's a deeper lineup. If. There's a huge if. If Mitch Garver can stay healthy. If Mitch Hanniger can stay healthy. If Polanco can stay healthy. You got... You got three guys who, when healthy, provide much more than you you had, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But that it's a huge qualifier. It's a well, if healthy, I get it. I it, it's it it could work out really well. I, I'm just curious to see. I'm, I'm I'm trying to find a realistic number. Like what's what's a if Mitch Haniger can play anywhere close to 100 games, that's a win to me. Right. That's that's a good season for him. And the same might be true for Polanco. If if he can give you over a hundred games, I, you know, I that's kind of the marker for me with these guys. If they can give you that, Mitch Haniger got hit in the arm last year and it yeah. broke his arm. That's why he was out. Right, it, but he just seems he's got to, an knack for that too. He just so, seems to know. come up with the most random injuries. Right, right. Um, and I think he was hurt coming out of spring training before. Didn't he have an oblique or he had yeah, something going on? There have, there's a history of the core injuries. Yeah, so he had something going on coming out of spring. Then, he, yeah, he gets hit in the arm. And that's not a fragile guy. You broke his arm. I mean, I, I can't blame him for that. But that's just been his unfortunate history, getting hit in the face, getting hit in the junk. Getting, and then it leads to surgeries. And it's just it's been an amazing, uh, unfortunate road for him. But I just think if, 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 if they can stay re- remotely healthy, it's a better lineup. I agree. And that that is impressive considering the financial constraints that were thrown on him. I don't blame 
you know, Jerry's the face. He's the one that goes out there and talks. And I know all of the all of the venom goes his way. I get it. But this is ownership. This is John Stanton, who I love. Great guy. Couldn't be a nicer guy. But this is the ownership group. That if you're going to be mad about this team not spending money, you're you're misdirecting your anger if it, if it's going towards Jerry. This is the ownership group. Yeah, I don't think any general manager would want to have their budgets cut. No, <laughs> yeah, that's they like to spend. There's no question about that. And uh, I think you know we were all obviously expecting more this off season, and that's because those are expectations that they set when yeah. they, they tore this down. Um, but meanwhile, I, I do think, it, and I think this is going to be a great test for Jerry Depoto because this is where you really had to call into play, you know, the trader Jerry. This is where you really needed him to do kind of work his magic in that regard. And he hasn't mm-hmm. done that in the last few years, hasn't had to. They've kind of signed more players than they've traded. This is the offseason where he's made the second most trades since he's been here. Really? Yeah. Most hmm. of the acquisitions we're talking about years. were trade. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, that that's they really had to go to work. And when you think about it, it makes sense because you had to trade again to tear down and then trade to build back up, you know, with the funds that you had. But uh, it's this is one of those off seasons where I don't think we've seen this many moves that could be as consequential to the upcoming season uh, as we are right now. And you're building off still a good core. Mm-hmm. You know, that has not gone away. In fact, I think it's taking steps forward. I'm really excited to see what George Kirby is this year. Really excited to see the changes that Bryce Miller has been working on all offseason. This guy went to work like almost right away and and really has kind of retooled what he does. Uh, I'm interested to see Cal Raleigh. Can he take a step forward? J.P. Crawford, can he maintain what he did last year? Ty France, who spent the winter at driveline. And he's got to be better. I'm hearing good things. We'll see. I got to believe there's a lot of optimism there right now, which is, but yes. And the fact that he made the admission that he had to make some changes and he had to do something, he made the commitment to come back up here several times to, to do that, uh, I think is important. So uh, you're building off a good core, some that had some kind of rough spots last year. Let's see how they move that forward. And in the meantime, I think that you've got a lineup that will better be able to keep things moving rather than three swings and you're sitting down again. Well, David Schoenfeld was on with uh, Bump and Stacy, and he talked about it. You know, one of the key important questions to the Mariners' success, in his opinion, is going to be how Bryce Miller and Brian Wu look. The keys are going to be Bryce Miller and, and Brian Wu, and we're reading about them. Both need to develop a pitch to get lefties out, lefties hammered. Both of these guys, the concern, can they make it through 30 starts, 150, 160 innings? So that'll be a big test. And I agree. I mean, you know, the lefties had success against these guys. You talked about Miller's work ethic in the offseason. I'm not sure what Wu was doing. I didn't hear much. Doesn't mean he wasn't working, but I just didn't hear just much about it. It's a normal offseason for him is what I've heard. Yeah, and, and it feels like certainly for him more than Miller, the concern about durability. You know, is he a guy that can can you know whether whether it's 30 starts or whether it's, you know, a certain number of innings they, they have a target on. They're right. That's huge. But if these guys can be, you know, durable and and they do develop that pitch, I mean, this is I don't know how you argue with this not being the deepest five in all of baseball. Well, there's someone say, yes, it is. And it's the best. Yeah, we'll see. But on paper, you like what they have. You like that you got those young guys experience last year. And for Brian Wu, that was a complete, complete surprise. I mean, we talked to him in spring training and he's coming off uh, the elbow surgery and we've been through it before. But this didn't really pitch in college either. Yeah. I mean, I don't know where he learned how to pitch, to be honest with you. He pitched so I, – I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a pitcher that had fewer innings between college and the big leagues than he did. 
in mm-hmm. getting to the big leagues. It's absolutely remarkable that there's some special stuff with the fastball there. But we talked to him in spring training coming off the season where he came off of a partial season where he came off of the elbow surgery, didn't throw very much. And his focus last year was getting a full minor league season in. He didn't even think that there was a chance that he would end up in the bigs. Well, he was down in double A, right? Yes, and had only thrown, I think, like 30, 40 innings the inning before and, you know, hardly any in college. And so, you know, he was aware that he did good things the year before. He was aware that they liked him, but he still thought he had a ways to go before that was even in the conversation. And lo and behold, he is up the big league level, which, you know, that was tremendous depth. And, I, you know, he wasn't off the radar. We knew who he was going into spring training. They had talked about him quite a bit. But for him to get through last season was pretty remarkable. So I think the durability is there because I do think he was pushed a little bit, not a lot, but you know, any time that you make that jump and you're not expecting it, uh, there is you know somewhat what of a push there. And they're fortunate enough that he will be in the five spot, which he, you can skip him early mm-hmm. on. There's a good chance that he won't have to pitch every five days for a good month and maybe a little bit more with the way that the schedule works out. So uh, I, I hope they handle the pitching clo- you know, carefully. That is the one area you might remember going into the season. I didn't think they'd be able, and this is before we knew they would be limited in what they could spend. I didn't think that they would be able to add enough offensively to depend on that. I thought maybe your resources would have been better spent really going in heavy on the pitching. I was looking at uh, CBS last night. They put out their first power rankings and, you know, take their conversation pieces. So it's always interesting to see what the outside voices and eyes think of your your team. They have the Mariners at number 11. It's like, okay. It's, it's seemed reasonable, and they, they said their quote was, they write a little blurb, it says good, and then in parentheses, parentheses, maybe great rotation, along with what could be a deep offense surrounding an MVP candidate. It certainly sounds good on paper. I love seeing Mitch Hanniger back in Seattle, too, was the uh, the note there. The only, and 11, I can live with that. Let's see where Let's see where they go. Problem is, the two teams in your division, one at number three, the Astros, one at number five, the defending champs now, the Rangers. And it made me think, all right, are we? is the idea of competing for the division, barring catastrophic injury to one of these teams, the idea of that not realistic? Do you feel like, all right, they're probably not in the mix for the division and we're looking at a wild card? That's that's the realistic goal? Did you think they were in the mix for the division last year? Because they were up until the last two days. Yeah, yeah but uh, it, all things being equal, everybody's healthy for all three rosters. I don't, I don't think they're as good as the, either of those teams. They're better in some spots, not as good in others. I don't think they're as far off, though. I think everything is so close on paper right now that, I yes, I think it is outrageous to think division, but I don't think there's any reason why you should think all things being equal and if they stay healthy that they can't challenge for the division, especially if the pitching maintains and the starters take a step forward. I, I think because you didn't have – let's – not forget what happened with the starting pitching at the end of last season. Mm-hmm. They were terrible in September. Mm-hmm. They were ranked, I think, second to last in war in a bunch of categories in the month of September. And that was because you had two very young guys in that rotation at the end. And Castillo faltered pretty badly in September, too. Turn that around and... I think you've got a chance to be right there. I think we fall into the trap of putting far too much emphasis on the offense. You can win with pitching, too. And so they're doing it a little bit differently. And uh, I I don't think it's out of the question 
I mean, everything would have to go right and some things might have to go wrong uh, on some other ends. But to compete for the division, I, I would believe that's going to be a goal. And uh, I think obviously if they do it, the pitching will have to lead the way. But I think you're doing so with a better offense and you were able to do so with a lesser offense last year. Yeah. Well, listen, I know the division's a goal. The World Series is your goal. It's a, we're talking about is it realistic? Are they built for it? Are they are they do they have enough ammo? Whether we're talking pitching and hitting, just collectively, are they are they that team? We'll see. I, on paper, it doesn't feel that way, but I I do feel like this is a better team than they were last year. So we'll see. Now, Julio, I want to get a thought from you quickly before we get to take two. He tweeted out after the Super Bowl a picture of a uh, picture of the field out there at the Super Bowl, the celebration, and he wrote, "I want to know what this feels like." Hashtag starving. He's going to be a big key to them getting to something like that. He's going to be, if he's starving, he can go a long way in feeding himself. He, you know, it's not all on his shoulders, certainly, but he's the star. He's the face of this organization. And I would love to see, you know, listen, he, in, in totality, had a great season, 30-plus home runs. He was a, he was a guy that, that was living up to his, his uh, expectations, I guess, offensively when it's all said and done. But you had kind of a drought in the middle of the season. Got off to a great start in April. Then May, June, July, not awesome. Not awesome when you look at it. I mean, you look at him in the month of April, he hit 308, had a 308 on base. And then you look at the very next month, a 231 average, 297 on base in, in May. And then you look in June, he had a 306 on base, 246 average. I mean, some of the power numbers were struggling as well. Just It was kind of a weird three-month stretch. And then toward the end of the season, he picked it up big time. He picked it up in August, but it faded again a little bit in September. Yeah, August, what do you do? 251, 314 on base. And then September, no, September, he was 347 on base, 288. True story. I'm looking at it. August was the month where he won player of the month, and he went yeah. on I'm, I'm, He went on the big tears in August. Yeah, I'm, look, I'm looking at his game log here in the month of September. It says 288 average, 347 on base, 484 slug. Okay. Um when you're looking at what he did last year, it wasn't a complete season. And I think he knows that. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that um, I think that the more experience he gets both on the field and off the field, especially with everything that he has to deal with, I think that is going to suit him well. And I, when you look at the projections, the projections all believe that he's going to have a monster year this year. And I, I think that he's focused on that. And he's got a lot to live up to. You know, when you look at everything that's put around him, MLB has pushed him forward. The Mariners, of course, have pushed him forward. And he did have some ugly months this year. And it's not mm -hmm. just what the numbers were, but it was situationally as well. And, you know, there were long stretches of time where all of a sudden he gets back into swing mode and he's chasing, you know, pitches that he absolutely should not be chasing. And it still was taking long to, you know, a little too long to come out of that. I think he learned a lot of lessons last year. And I think that if he does have the season that a lot of people are thinking that he is going to have, uh, I think that you are going to be looking at this team. I mean, it would be hard to envision this team not in the postseason if he had an MVP season. Yeah, 1,000. I agree with you. <laughs> I don't like saying definitive things like that, but I mean, it would be really hard. Well, uh, yeah, I, but I think most people agree with that logic, barring, you know, tons of injuries around him. And he's just putting up these these, you know, crazy numbers that, that, that can't be denied. Yeah, it's not a it's not a one man show, but he's a huge part of he's a catalyst for everything they do offensively. Let's take two. 
We expected this. We talked to Richard Deitch about it yesterday, right before the ratings came out, actually. But Super Bowl 58 uh, did set a record, averaging 123.3 million viewers, breaking the 115 million from last year's Chiefs-Eagles Super Bowl. Most watched program ever. Think Taylor Ever. Swift had something to do with that? I think she helped. <laughs> I think she helped, but I'm guessing it would have broken last year's record without her. I don't know. I know both of my nieces were watching a game that they normally didn't watch. So, <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing that you know Dave and I talk about it all the time that the NFL is just a behemoth that everything they touch turns to gold. Everybody talks about you know that they're at some point it gets too big. You know the hogs get slaughtered, whatever. I always forget that saying about. Pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered, or something. Don't know it, and I don't like it one bit. Somebody, do you know that one, Lefko? What's the saying? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Right? Is that right? I don't know. People know what I'm trying to say. If Actually, it, I think Schlereth has said that, right? Ask him about it. <laughs> I feel like he said that before. I don't. I don't think the NFL is in danger of getting slaughtered anytime soon. They're just they just continue to grow, and they are now a 24/7, 365 product because the Super Bowl's over. Now we're going to start talking about the combine coming up, and we're going to start talking about the draft coming up, and then it's the OTAs and minicamp. It doesn't end, and it people are there to consume every bit of it. Well, that's the key of it. It's all 24/7 right now. I joke about you know it's the not so off season in baseball and it's the same in football right now and it almost seems like there's less activity to follow but it just doesn't even matter well for all the talk about uh, college football kind of being in disarray the athletic reports that espn and the college football playoff have agreed to a six-year extension worth 1.3 billion a year and that now runs through the 2031-2032 season and for ESPN, it gets the uh, college football playoff and expands to 12 teams this season. Wait, so college football is a business? Yeah. Is what you're trying to say? Man, surprising. I thought it was an altruistic endeavor there for the students and to create a better working environment to learn and prepare them for their future life. I don't, Huge I business. don't even want to talk about <laughs> I've got so much I could say about it. Oh, well, we didn't get your thoughts on Ryan Grubb. We'll get him. We'll get him? Okay. Yeah, we'll get him. Right. Yeah, we're up against the clock. Okay. She might That's she true. might go on forever. She's very angry. Very angry about this whole husky thing. Uh, take two is brought to you by Swedish Cyberknife. Treat prostate cancer with Swedish Cyberknife. Swedish.org slash Cyberknife Prostate. Coming up, the Mariners have revamped one key area behind the scenes as well. We'll break that down. Talk about some of those changes. Coming up, it's Wyman and Bob. Shannon Dreyer in right now for Dave. This is Seattle Sports on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Text line is there for you at 866-979-3776. Powered by Mac and Jack's Brewing Company. It's Wyman and Bob. Wyman not feeling well today, so Shannon Dre are with me until 4 o'clock. Lefko will sit in after that. You guys can text in. Shannon and I were debating egg bites during the break there. Starbucks egg bites. Have you had those? They're the best. Really good. So good. They sell them at Costco now, though. Do they really? Yeah, that's where I got them. Oh, I'm going to have to get a Costco membership just for egg bites, aren't I? Did <laughs> you pick me up some when you're there, then? Absolutely, <laughs> Shannon. Right. And they're decidedly cheaper there. How about they would that? have to be. Now, you're eating news. the wrong one, though. I am? Yeah. No way. That's the bacon egg bite. Yeah, the mushroom and the kale. I don't know if they sell that one at Costco. I'm not sure. I hope <laughs> Matt they does not that like one's it. awful. No, okay. no, I'm sorry. It has to be the bacon and gravy. We won't even Those ask. We will not even ask Lefko about this. Lefko is up for anything that's free. If it's free, it's me. That's his motto. He's a, yeah, yeah. Sure. There you go. Simple, not picky. Uh, but you guys can text in again, 866-979-3776, powered by Mac and Jack's Brewing Company. So the Mariners have made it the concerted effort to retool their 
their process this offseason. I know you wrote an article uh, after your interview with uh, Andy McKay, assistant GM. And we'll, we'll get into your article in a minute. But a couple of cuts here from Andy McKay. Here he is just talking about, you know, how, how to look take a long look at how to get better from what they've been the past few seasons. We, we've worked hard to, to, to crystallize our process as to who we are, what we're all about, and then to execute that process. And we know that it's not good enough right now. You know, our three years ago, we missed the playoffs by a game. Then we get into the playoffs and we lose that crazy series to Houston on, you know, the walk-off homer in the 18-inning game. Last year, we missed by a game. And so, we have to under like that's who we are that's our process is is kind of just missing and so we have to get better because our our players need to get better so that our fans can get what they deserve and so you you interviewed him shannon process is a very general term that can mean a million things what can you be specific as to what it was and what it is now how, do, how did it change what's the process well you can have individual processes and then he's talking about an overall process and what is the final product and how they get to it and uh, what really got to me about that and this is something I had wanted to ask for some time and things went a little haywire last fall if you hadn't noticed <laughs> it made it a little bit tougher uh, to get some answers uh, on some situations but for me you would a lot of folks looked at last year and said they just came up short you know, mm-hmm. two games. You, you took it to the very end. But to me, that's not what the season felt like. And and I don't think they were a bad team by any means. But it, it felt like you were, you were not charging into the postseason. And I personally could not watch another strikeout. And part of their process and one of the things that they believed in was the big guys mm-hmm. who they're going to strike out, but they're also going to hit home runs. Right. And getting a number of those in a lineup in front of me, it became apparent not very quickly, but as the season went on, it was just like, okay, enough. You saw too many rallies ended. You saw too many outcomes that, uh, you know, it, bat doesn't meet ball. What's going Nothing good can happen when bat doesn't meet ball. If bat does beat ball, you are giving yourself a chance. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed like they needed something more. And so I was kind of really wondering if they were going to, at the end of the season, really acknowledge not that they came close, but they didn't make it. And hopefully kind of reevaluate everything they did. That didn't mean that they had to ditch everything or ditch anything for that matter. But I wanted to hear that they really had looked at everything. And there just really was an opportunity to hear that last fall. We have not had, you know, they, they did kind of lay low after things went sideways. And so it was a good chance to talk to somebody who was very passionate about these things and very involved in mm-hmm. all of these things. And Andy McKay was now an assistant general manager. And it was funny because when I asked him, we were doing it over a Zoom interview about, and we'd had, you know, a great interview. He's talking about, you know, he's very passionate about coaching and coaching coaches and, and the impact that they can have. When I did ask the question, how did you go about breaking down last season? His head dropped. He just like, it was just, ah. <laughs> oh. Like he didn't want to relive that again yeah. and then gave some very good answers. The, uh, the whole audio is up on seattlesports.com on, on my post right there. And uh, I thought that was a very frank admission that, no, it's not good enough to just miss. And that's who we are right now. What we are doing is getting us to a point where we just miss. 
So we have to do things a little bit differently. And I do think that we have seen that and we heard it at the end of the year. You did hear them talk about we need to get more contact oriented. Mm -hmm. We need less swing and miss. We did hear that at the end of the season. But they also, oh, something that I found very interesting is they brought in three coaches from the outside. And there's been very little, little movement on the coaching front from the outside the last three years. They brought up a lot of their own coaches from within the system, which to me makes a ton of sense when they have the processes that they have in right. philosophies that they have in the minor leagues. You have that continuity as you are bringing players up, and then that helps it really take over at the big league level. That made sense. They're all speaking the same language. But I think now they are in a part, point where they are all speaking that same language, and they can bring in other things, and that's what Andy said. You know, we don't need another Scott Service. We don't need another Andy McKay. We don't need another, you know, Trent Blanker. We don't need another pitching coach. We need people who bring something different to the mix. And, and so they did go and add a Brant Brown, and a lot of people look at his title, and he is... Offensive coordinator. Offensive coordinator. And it made sense because... When you look at offense, offense isn't just swing and miss. It is There are a lot of different aspects of offense, and you've got different people who on a football team, you've got a quarterback's coach, you've got a wide receiver's coach, an O-line coach, all of that. You need somebody to pull it all together. And the guy who's pulling it all together, his one goal is score points. In mm -hmm. Football score runs in baseball. And it's the same. You don't have quite as many coaches as a football team does, but you are getting more and more and more. And so – Brant Brown comes in, and a term that he threw out there uh, that I kind of gravitated toward right away was, we need to have a better run-scoring mentality. And, and so some of this is, you know, what do you have to do in different situations as opposed to go up and strike out or hit a home run? Right. What do you have to do in April versus what you have to do in June? Mm -hmm. And so uh, I, I think along those lines... I don't want to say they stepped out of a comfort level because I think that they are very open to doing different things, but they're doing different things right. as far as the coaches go. Uh, one more from Andy here, just elaborating more on what they wanted to emphasize on this offseason. There were a lot of things. Some of them, you know, I, I know Jerry and Justin have shared, uh, Scott have shared. Some of them are probably trying to keep a little bit more, you know, in-house. But certainly from that offensive standpoint, the consistency of it, you know, from from really day one. And for me, it's it's just an idea of, if you look at our season last year and, you know, it comes down to the very end, those are the games that are easy to pay attention to, but we could have won a game in April. We could have won two more games in April. And, you know, for, for me, and I think this is something that I've kind of tried to take ownership of is most team, you beat yourself before the opponent is able to beat you. So I wanted to really look at the controllable aspects of what we do and are we controlling it and how many wins are available there. Hmm. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if it's if it's an approach that'll be that noticeable, that obvious to a fan sitting in the stands. Like this team looks different, they, the way they they function with runners on base, or the way they attack the game. It, it, I don't know, you know, just from his statements, how obvious it'll be on the field. Hopefully, it'll just be obvious in the production. Hopefully, we'll just see. Hey, this team is you know two outs, runners in scoring position. This is they've got a knack now. All of a sudden, they're doing things better than they've done cutting down on strikeouts, things like that. Quickly, before we get to the break, you talked about how they, they've they got a new approach as a, as a coaching staff and as a front office. How much do you think players individually are changing their approach? How much ownership are they taking? And I know you haven't been down there yet, so it's, a, it's I'm asking you to speculate a bit. But just in terms of 
I, I don't know, throw out a name. Cal Raleigh say, you know what, I got to be better. I got I to gotta do this. This part of my game needs to improve. Or He's JP the first Crawford one to do saying, that. Cal is the first one to yeah. do that. It's I have to be better. We have to be better. He acknowledges that. He mm-hmm. would be the last one to say or take any comfort in the fact that they came close last year. J.P. Crawford and Ty France going to driveline. That's taking ownership, taking accountability for what you do. Uh, you hear the pitchers and the things that they do. Uh, you, you look at Bryce Miller going to work almost, I think, two, three weeks after the season ended. He said he was bored, but that's him. I mean, he's kind of a <laughs> – he likes to – I don't want to say he tinkers, but he, he loves the science of pitching and getting right. into what he does. So uh, I, I think that – I think the ask on that will be in the way that you might be able to see it is when you get into April and the ball is not flying – do you see perhaps a little bit of small ball here and there? And that will, that, you know, doesn't seem like much, but for some, well, I don't do that. Now, if you're not a bunter, you're not going to be asked to bunt. And I don't know right. if you're going to see any bunts or how many you would see in that, but different ways to move runners along if you're asked to give yourself up a little bit more in, in that situation. So I, I think that can kind of put on display the commitment to that and the ownership of that. All right, coming up, spring training isn't the only thing in the sports world making headlines in Phoenix. We'll get into an interesting story going on there. Coming up, it's Wyman and Bob, Shannon Dreyer, and this is Seattle Sports on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Coming up at 3 o'clock, Mark Schlereth will join us for his weekly conversation. I believe this is his last one of the season. Is that right, Lefko? The send-off for Mark Schlereth? It's going to be very bittersweet. But we got Shannon Dreyer in. Uh, she'll join us after the uh, conversation with Mark Schlereth. She's here right now. Uh, but we just step away from baseball for a moment. And, and the, the, the waste management open out there in Phoenix is yearly kind of the, the Happy Gilmore event where people are – Almost encouraged to yell and scream. Do everything that golf etiquette says you don't do. Do that here. In the sunshine. In the sun. We're going to drink. We're going to yell. Everybody's going to hoot and holler and blah, blah, blah. That's just its reputation and it's become a destination. Well, it got out of hand this year. And you had golfers like yelling at at fans in the stands saying, what what the hell, man? What the bleep? And, you know, (laughs) really getting upset. It was Spieth and all these other ones. And now they've said that they, you know, they're gonna they're gonna take steps to control it. I'm thinking, well, you, you kind of did this to yourselves. You you've promoted this as being that type of event. You've encouraged it. You've 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 you know you've given them this sort of leeway. Fans, you you give them a rope. They want to be a cowboy. That's how it goes. They they they're gonna they're gonna take that step. They're gonna oh I can drink beer. I'm gonna drink ten. I can I can yell. I'm gonna yell in the backswing. I'm gonna yell here. I'm gonna I'm gonna you know do a belly flop in the sand pit. You know I mean it's just kind of. It, to me, it was is expected, and I think it's funny that a lot of these golfers are very upset right now. I'm thinking, well, you know what you're in store for. It's like this every year. Yeah, it's taken another step, but I'm curious how far they go in reining it back. What are you going to do? Are you going to are you going to cut off beer sales at a certain time? Or are you only going to serve light beer? Are you going to you know do a better job of uh, checking people coming in that they don't have a flask? stash somewhere because i know a lot of people do that so that's just kind of it they've kind of built this entire this entire uh event on that behavior and now it's like whoa it's a problem we got to fix this i wonder if you could have like a quiet section of the course and then you could have you know kind of the party section of the course rather than the entire thing be I, spring break section you'd still have those golfers course. going through the loud section and, yeah, but they'd and, get a break here and there 
Yeah, I don't I don't know. I, it was funny to see, you know, Zach Johnson, Jordan Spieth, Billy Horschel. They were all, you know, yelling at fans at different points or complaining about what was going on out there. So I don't know. They, they've talked about, you know, the party atmosphere and, and all of that. That's that's the sell. That's the cell. Maybe they need like the football stadiums have the jails in them. You need a a jail at the tournament too. And you can just, you know, grab them. And those that are really unruly, get them out of there very quickly. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I think it's kind of funny that these guys are getting mad that, you know, and now they're sort of like, I can't believe it's gone this far. Really? Really? Are you against having a fun golf tournament? Me? Yeah. No, I think this was, but this was beyond predictable is my point. Like, this is how you're marketing this. This is how you sell this event. People make it, our own Brandon Gustafson went down there. (laughs) I don't know if he's made it back. I was going to say, we haven't seen him since. Yeah. Maybe maybe, he's part of that crowd. Yeah. Maybe he's face down in a gutter somewhere. We don't know. But it becomes a a destination because people are like, yeah, I'm going to go down there and drink and go crazy. That's how you marketed it. So what are you going to do? You're going to turn it into just an everyday run-of-the-mill PGA event? It's like any other one. Are you going to try to rein it back in a little? I don't, I don't, I don't know how, the, the, to me, the cat's out of the bag. It's like, it is where it is. I, I don't know what they can do other than make a drastic change and say, you know, no more alcohol or no more alcohol past this period, or we're going to search for people bringing in their own alcohol, or we're going to, you know, take some huge steps to really change what has been a selling point for this tournament. Well, the selling point, I think, is the key. So, you know, whatever's bringing in the dollars, I think they can just kind of accommodate the rest. I think ultimately that's what you'll see. I I like some of these comments. It says, uh, Zach Johnson was caught on social media laying into a heckler after a tee shot. Quote, don't sir me, a clearly agitated Johnson told a group of fans before storming off. Somebody said it, and I'm just sick of it. Just shut up. (laughs) 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 Uh, let's see. Uh, Billy Horschel took exception to fans making noise during a swing by a fellow competitor. Uh, um, he said, buddy, when he's over the shot, shut the hell up, man. Horschel yelled at a fan. Come on. He's trying to hit a damn shot. It's our bleeping job. <laughs> Just, uh, and then Jordan Spieth. What the bleep? He could be seen saying as he glared at the gallery. <laughs> I mean, that almost sounds fun for the golfer, too. Don't you have a day where maybe you wish you could yell all the stuff back? Yeah. <laughs> I think they're marketing it wrong. I think they need to market it more to the players that this is a good thing. You think they should be able to, it'll just be a free-for-all. We'll just throw expletives Absolutely. at each other. Yes. It's your one day. Yeah. The Phoenix, Let it all out. The greatest show on grass is what they dub it. Unlike anything in golf, masses up to 200,000 fans at TPC Scottsdale Stadium. Uh, boos, cheers, B-O-O-S, not B-O-O-Z-E. Um, the occasional beer shower, as they call it. Uh, the eye of the rowdy hurricane is the 16th hole, a multi-tiered party of uh, par three where quiet please signs are met with disdain. <laughs> oh, and then it says on Friday a woman suffered non-life-threatening injuries after falling at the 16th. It was unknown she whether the woman had been bleachers. drinking. How do you fall through the bleachers? I I don't know. Wyman could probably do that. He's a klutz. He finds ways to trip over things and break things. Say, if yeah. there's anyone who could find a way to break stairs or fall through something, it'd be one. Dave will. You're gonna do have it. to really check out the spring training house and make sure everything is safe for him Seriously. before we get down there. You may want to put those, you know, like baby-proof the place. Yes. Yes. You know, <laughs> they do for infants. Cause, yeah, Little bumpers on all the corners. Seriously, and, okay. he, he could go down. What's the uh, what's the cacti situation looking like at that house? I haven't checked that okay. out yet. That I can be dangerous. Yeah. Yes, yes. We'll definitely, we'll 
We'll get some protection from that if need be. That could be a fun segment. Shannon's going to film baby proofing for Wyman <laughs> and go around the house and give us a tour. And Wyman will still leave after the trip with some sort of bandage, bruise, a limp. He's going to he's going to find a way. As long to as he doesn't break the steps. <laughs> I, I, I think he promises nothing. It's a, he's just got that knack of being able to do it. But I'm I'm curious what they're going to do to to try to rein this in. I don't I don't really know that there's an obvious answer because it's been incredibly successful uh they do a ton of business but it feels like uh, golfers don't find it nearly as charming as perhaps they used to well are you sure it's the it's not the golfers i mean are they doing maybe this is the same antics that have been going on all along and the golfers just don't like it anymore they have been known to get a little uptight yeah well certainly but they know what they're getting into at this tournament so i don't i don't know maybe it has i've never been to this event so i don't know how this year compares to previous years it feels like the storylines around it are different. Like it crossed a line this year, apparently, because you've got not just one, not two, three. You've got a handful of golfers yelling at people and throwing expletives at them. Gonna have to close down the fraternity, Bob. <sighs> Nobody wins then. Nobody wins then. All right. What are you gonna do? You gonna go get some soup or something? What's going on there? Uh yeah, I'll take a walk around. Maybe yeah. get a latte. Get a latte. Get some. Give you a listen. Go get some egg bites. I'll come back with notes. (laughs) Go get some egg bites. Uh, Think about what you'd like to say about UW. Maybe we'll we'll get your take, let you unleash on Kaylin DeBoer and University of Washington. I have cooled down a little bit on that. Have you? We're okay. Wyman loves your anger, by the way. He (laughs) really encourages it. He really enjoys it. He's rethinking everything. All right. Coming up. Hey, a reminder, though, the John Schneider Show is beginning this Thursday. I think we thought it was the following Thursday, but we're moving it up a week. So this Thursday at 4 p.m., make sure you tune in every Thursday starting this Thursday until the NFL draft, including our interview with Seahawks GM, the night of the first round of the draft on April 25th. So, again, the John Schneider Show starts this Thursday. Dave and I will be down there at the Virginia Mason Athletic Center. Meanwhile, we'll put the wraps on the NFL season with our guy, Mark Schlereth. He joins us next. It's Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710.